0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 7. Next week, Benji will be preaching from Psalm 103, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we try to have each of our elders at least preach once in a year, and so we we'll be looking forward to that. And then the following week, I will be uh, moving into the uh, book of Revelation. Uh, just a word on psalm 7 um i didn't choose psalm 7 because it was one of my favorite psalms uh i believe that the bible is all god breathed every word of it and so uh it is a lifelong ambition that i would be able to preach or teach through every uh book of every book every verse of the bible um but I just was trying to go from the beginning of Psalms up till Psalm eight, which I've preached in the past, and so I was trying to begin that process. And so Psalm seven just happened to be the last one. But as usual, uh, I was surprised as I studied Psalm seven. Just a quick question: Is any Psalm seven anyone's like favorite Psalm? Is anybody even really familiar with it before you this day today? Uh, that's kind of what I thought. It's, it's not one that's as well known. I hope it will be one that is uh, more cherished after this day. So, This psalm is about slander. Uh, Claire has asked me several times. She's not here right now. But she uh, has asked me several times, what are we going to talk about this week? And I told her, slander. And uh, no one likes to be accused of something they didn't do, right? No one enjoys it when someone else maligns their character, right? If you want to get defensive, have somebody say something wrong about you, and you will rise up to tell them that they are wrong. There was a time, even in our own land, where if you uh, received some sort of false accusation, it could lead to a duel, Right? I mean, you've slandered my honor, and we're going to deal with this right now. Even when it occurs among children, emotions can become very heated. Uh, I don't know if you... uh, Only children may not have this experience, but if you're in a house where there's multiple children, and there's a toy that is found missing... Now, some of you may be better than in our house, but if one of my toys was found missing, I immediately charged my brother as the culprit. Uh, Whether or not I had any evidence of that or not really was beside the point. He was the one who did it. Even if you're in a school situation, you're walking through the hall and you trip over another kid's foot, the kids immediately begin to say things like, you did that on purpose. You intended to harm me. And the, you know, the words start flying like fists. You tried to trip me. Did not, did to, did not. You know, it's like back and forth, right? Or how about this one? You get a little bit older in your teen years, maybe your early 20s. Uh, a friend of yours breaks up in their relationship. And, and you have no problem... In an attempt to comfort your friend, trashing, I mean absolutely trashing the one that just broke up with them, right? This is the most evil person in the world, even though a week ago you were in love with them, you know? So it's, it's strange, but we want to like justify these bad feelings, and so we hate the person that's just broke up with us. And anyway, so all these kind of things are examples in our lives where there are false accusations, slanderous situations, Right? And uh, then, I mean, that's not even to talk about if someone truly has it out for you and wants to destroy you. Um, We are moving into another election cycle, and we all know that slander and libel occur frequently. Um, It is almost like you're not playing the game right if you don't engage in it. Add to this ideas that social media often will try to take out a person that they don't like their views. That has you know occurs. Gossip can be multiplied exponentially just by clicking a button. Off it goes. No one likes to be on the receiving end of slander. But if we're off, if we're honest, all too often. It falls from our lips as well. God actually tells us that he hates slander. Just in general, he says, I hate it. James chapter 3, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. The ninth commandment explicitly says that you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. The shorter catechism kind of puts it in a positive and a negative statement. The ninth uh, commandment requires that we promote truth between our brothers, man and man. And we should actually seek to try to promote our brother's good name, especially in the courtroom. The ninth commandment forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to truth in other words just because you think it's true doesn't mean it's true and if you think it's true you shouldn't just spout it out you should be quiet because you don't want to say something that's not true you don't want to in any way injure your brother's good name how much more fun would it be to be in america if we followed this really i mean really it would be great And yet, we're constantly tearing each other down. And there seems to be no repercussion if we're wrong. We hardly even want to give an apology if we're wrong, proven wrong. God hates slander. Now, while we all must strive to tame our own tongues... This psalm is not about overcoming our own propensity to slander. It is about King David's response to having been slandered. That's what it's about. David wants the Lord, this is kind of summation, David wants the Lord to declare to the world that he is innocent of all charges against him. That's what he wants. Another way to say this, David wants vindication. A declaration from the Lord that he is righteous. With that being said, let's go ahead and read the psalm together. You just follow along in your Bibles. Psalm chapter 7, 7th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Ashagion of David which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. "'O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. "'O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands,' If I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, for you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. And according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends." I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give to the Lord the thanks due His righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. <clears throat> I don't really have anything to tell you about the meaning of Shigaion. A uh, couple of theories, but it's not worth mentioning. We also do not know much about Cush, the Benjamite, whom David identifies as his slanderer. He is of the same tribe as Saul, so it is likely that he was loyal to Saul. In David's case, the slander seems to be that David has wrongfully assumed the throne of Israel. The biblical record, if you've read it, you just, you just assume David's the right king. I mean, we just all, yeah. But in the context of his life, it wasn't immediately apparent to people. Not everybody got the Samuel memo. You know, Samuel's the one that anoints him. Not everybody gets that. And even if they did, they didn't always believe it. And so they looked at David's ascension to the throne as a power play. They are accusing him of lust and power and greed. They accused him of actually taking the throne deceitfully, that he was only playing playing uh, or acting to be nice to Saul, but his true intent was one of personal ambition. And it's likely that these Questions, these accusations about David's right to reign went throughout his time as king. We do remember from a couple weeks ago that, that even his own son rises up in rebellion and takes the throne. And during that time, there was a, a young a man named Shimei, and he actually calls David a man of blood a worthless man. You're only getting what your sins deserve, David, that, that Absalom is taking your, uh, the throne from you. Now, none of these accusations were true. And that's what made them so like barbs in David's side. Now, it is possible, and I, I go through this because it's possible to just read Psalm 7 as, as David is just like you, we go through life and sometimes people falsely accuse us. And it never feels good and we kind of have this general feeling of wanting God to set the record right. It's okay if you use this psalm that way. I think it's an appropriate application of this psalm. But, but I, I think there's more to this. David is not an individual in the kingdom who has been slandered. David is the king of the kingdom. Now think about that. If the accusations against David are true, then David has wrongfully taken the throne, and the foundation of his reign is undermined. You see, in our world, we're so used to just power rules, right? We don't really care that righteousness rules. Just power rules. But that is not the way the Lord wants His kingdom to be. The Lord has said that my king will rule in righteousness. And so if you could actually Come up with some charge that would stick against his character, it would undermine his entire reign. And I also want you to begin to see that if David goes down, the whole kingdom goes down. So I want you to think about your, it's not just about you, you identify with David as an individual. I want you to begin seeing David as a foreshadow. Of King Jesus. You see, if King Jesus could be accused of wrong, then the kingdom is done. Jesus, along with David, David's a foreshadow of this, it is absolutely essential that the Lord declare Jesus as righteous if you're going to be saved. So while all slander is evil, the, slay, the slander against David takes a different level. And it's also important here that David doesn't just, uh, he doesn't just defend himself. He is absolutely certain that if the Lord doesn't defend him and the Lord doesn't declare his righteousness, then it, it, it's not worth a hill of beans. Now just as an example of this um, I don't know if anybody ever uh, heard or or read kind of the uh, statements of Hermann Goering when he was a Nazi leader that was interviewed during the Nuremberg trials. Uh, If you haven't, it's fine. But, you know, he's one of the perpetrators of all the evils of Nazism, terrible guy. And he's being interviewed. And in his pride and his arrogance, he basically says, I am only on trial because the Nazis didn't win. If we won, I'd be right. Right. Now, you understand what he's saying there is that power makes right. Might makes right. David doesn't want that. In fact, he's willing to receive these accusations and wait until the Lord declares him to be righteous. Okay? All right, so let's walk through this. O oh Lord my God in you do I take refuge save me from all my pursuers deliver me lest like a lion they tear my soul apart rending it to in pieces with none to deliver It's not by accident that this concept of all the enemies surrounding David and like ripping him apart as a lion that's a common theme throughout the psalms listen to psalm 22 Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Now, if you know anything about Psalm 22, this is the psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one that Jesus quotes on the cross. So this connection between David being slandered and Jesus being slandered is very close in the psalms. <clears throat> and David, like Jesus, basically says, Lord, if you don't deliver me, I will be lost. Think about Christ on the cross. Even on the cross, men were accusing him all the while, and he just says, okay, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Very similar attitude that David has here. If you don't deliver me, I am lost. And then in verses 3-5, through five, David basically says, if I have done this wrong... If I have repaid my friend with evil, I think that's referring to Saul, that if, if I have actually done Saul a wrong, if I have plundered my enemy without cause, then let me perish. Now, you have to see that there's always a little bit of a difference when you have a foreshadow in the fulfillment in Christ. David is only saying that he is innocent in regard to these charges. Remember, in this previous psalm, we heard David crying out to God for mercy. He's not sinless. But in, as it related to his taking the throne, he was innocent. He was not trying to do this on his own. When it comes to Christ, his declaration of innocence is in every sense. When he says, Lord, if I have done wrong, then take me down. But if I have not done wrong, vindicate me. Jesus is talking about Everything is complete and full righteousness. Verses 6-8. Uh, through eight. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, for you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. Now, here's this is a... This is amazing. David is, he starts with just his own personal slander against himself, but he knows that he is God's anointed king, and he knows that this vindication of who he is will occur at the appointed judgment of all the peoples. And it will occur as everyone is assembled together. What is he talking about? The final judgment. There will be a final reckoning. And David is wanting this. He wants this to happen, for God to do this publicly in front of everyone, declaring him righteous. <clears throat> I used to read verses like Psalm 8, and they're, they're Psalm 7, identify with them. I mean, could you actually tell the Lord, judge me according to my righteousness? I'm just like, what? I I want you to be merciful to me, Lord. I don't want you to judge me according to my righteousness. I want you to judge me according to Christ's righteousness. Um, But David is appealing for a final vindication of his right to be the king of Israel. He is, in this verse, a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and when He was saying, judge me according to my righteousness, He was basically saying to His Father, if I have done any wrong, sentence me to an eternal hell. But if I am innocent of all charges, and if I have righteousness in my being and integrity at every level, then judge me to be so. Now this is... This is powerful. When you start understanding this, David starts telling his, uh, uh, in this chapter, he says, Lord, I want you to take down everyone who has slandered me. What does it say? He says, lift yourself up in anger. Now, if you remember from last week, David actually said, don't judge me in anger. (laughs) Now he's saying, God, pour out the anger on them. Okay. So, it's not just, David here, it's not just a personal slight against an individual. You see, people have slandered God's anointed king. That demands judgment. You see, David has this appeal for this, if anyone opposes the king, which is what it says in Psalm 2, That anybody who opposes God's king will be crushed. He's just living that out. I'm God's anointed king. If they oppose me, they need to be crushed. Now think about Jesus at the cross. How is it that the Lord declares Jesus innocent? How does he declare him to be righteous? Well, he raises him up from the dead and seats him at the right hand of God. So, the resurrection is God's declaration to the world that Jesus is righteous. In a sense, God is in agreement with the Roman centurion at the cross in Luke 23, 47, where he says, Sir, surely this man is innocent. And the Father saying, Yes, he is. You see, the entire, entirety of the kingdom of God depends upon God's declaration that his son was righteous. No righteousness, no declaration of that, no kingdom. If the king is a fraud, then you have no hope of salvation. How different is this than Greek mythology where the Greek gods were just as corrupt as the people? You serve a king who is righteous in every way. How many people even to this day, even though God has declared Jesus to be righteous and raised him up through the resurrection, how many people to this day still declare Jesus to be uh, not the rightful king or no king at all? Think about the world around you that basically looks like Jesus, talks about Jesus like he's an imposter, like he's an enemy, that he's evil, that he's terrible. You think the God of the universe is not going to vindicate Jesus' name? See, there remains, even to this day, a day when all the peoples throughout all of history are gathered together. And the father is going to vindicate his son and say, he is my rightful ruler. He has been righteous in all things. So therefore, David, back in Psalm 7, verse 9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. If you are righteous, then let the evil stop. Stop. Because you're going to establish the righteous, you're the one who tests minds and hearts, O righteous God. So everything in this is about righteousness. If you are opposing the king, you're slandering his name, then he says pour out judgment. If you are, we'll get to a minute, if you are part of the righteous, and God's the one who tests, who's either way, that's why we had the sheep and the goats passage earlier, God is the one who tests, the righteous will go into eternal life. And David says, I want that day to come. Verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. This is not about sinfulness needing saving. David is basically saying God will not let these slanderers win. It's the same thing. God will not let those who oppose Jesus Christ win. It would be wrong of him to do that. Christ is the one who is upright in heart. God will save him. Verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. I love this. How many people accuse God of not caring about evil in the world? And basically, David is saying, even though I'm being slandered, even though the judgment day has not come, I don't care because God feels indignation against his anointed king every day. When people hate Jesus Christ, you think the father's up there and, oh, who cares? He cares. He hates it every day. Now, on the one hand, we should all be happy. That evil has an end. On the other hand, I hope this makes you a little nervous. I open the psalm saying no one likes to be wrongfully accused or slandered. But what if it is true that you have indeed, in one way or another, slandered the name of your king? I'm certain I have at times. Benji even alluded to that in his prayer. Not speaking openly about his love for Christ. Hiding it. All of us are guilty. Not one of us could say, Lord, save me according to my righteousness. Thankfully, in verse 12, it brings in this idea of repentance. If a man does not repent, God will judge him. So your salvation is not dependent upon how great you are. Your salvation depends on changing your attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the best examples of this are the two criminals on Jesus' right or left. They both mock Jesus at the beginning. And then through God's grace, the one actually repents of his mocking of Christ and declares Jesus to be the Savior and says, remember me. In, in your kingdom. And Jesus says, oh, you will be with me in paradise. You see, the wicked are crushed only if they don't repent. And at some point, we all must acknowledge our rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't just done a few little things here and there. We have actually lived in rebellion to Jesus. Verses 14 to 16 behold the wicked man conceives evil is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies this just basically says these guys didn't lie just as a whim they made a mistake it 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 was deep into their soul their heart of rebellion it, it grew and then it came forth in this slanderous account that's a depiction of all of us guys sin comes forth from the heart that's why you're guilty of it you didn't just accidentally rebel against christ He basically says they've, they've done these attempts to actually defeat Christ by digging a hole, but they're going to fall into it themselves. It's going to come on their own, their own self. <clears throat> now, I have one more question to finish this sermon. It might take a few minutes, but it's a very important one. If we can all agree that Jesus did nothing wrong... He was a sinless man on the, on, while he walked this earth. And that, that um, God declares that when he rises up from the dead. Did he do a wrong when he declares you righteous? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, maybe he was individually righteous, But now we're going to another step. We're looking at Benji Thomas, who knows he's a sinner. And Jesus says, Benji, I declare you righteous by faith in me alone. And this gets at the mystery of the gospel. And I really think that's what's going on here. David understands that he can say, if Jesus was wrong in any sense, all is lost. (laughs) So in other words, Jesus not only had to be righteous in the way that he lived his life, but he also had to be righteous in the way that he saves sinners. In other words, when he says to Emily, Irwin, you are righteous, is he bearing false witness about Emily? Because Emily's a sinner. What gives him the right to do that? And still be just. And still be righteous. Well, Romans 3 tells us, Romans 3, for the works, by works of the law, no human will be declared righteous, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now here's the thing. This was to show God's righteousness. Without the cross... Without God actually punishing Jesus Christ for your sins, He would be unrighteous to save you. But as it is, because He endured the cross, because He took the full weight of God's wrath upon Himself, He is righteous when He declares you righteous. I love this. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the, the righteous one And the one who declares people to be righteous who have faith in Jesus Christ. All of your sin imputed to Jesus Christ. All of His righteousness declared to you. That's the great exchange. So when you read verse chapter 7 and it it says... God is a righteous judge, and it says, um, for God to actually uh, vindicate me, you should be thinking, God, you vindicate your own declaration of me being righteous. You prove yourself to be right when you called me a saint. This is why David in verse 17 says, I'll give thanks to the Lord. I'll give to the Lord the thanks due to his mercy. I will give thanks to the Lord due to his righteousness. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm saved because my God is righteous. We normally just think about the mercy side of it because we're receiving mercy all the time. But the truth of the matter is when God chose to save you, he did it righteously. And for you not to be saved at the end would be a false accusation against him. This is true. stated in 1 John 1, 8, and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So don't even try to say that you're righteous before God. Don't do that. But if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just, the word there is righteous, to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is righteous to forgive you. Now, think about the accusations you feel every day. You know you're still a sinner. You know you fall short of God's glory. And you hear those words, The Father, I declare you righteous. And inside your heart you say things to yourself like, Ah, that can't be. He's got to be angry with me. He's got to be crushing me. And I'm telling you, That if you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, now you can be playing games with God, and He'll test your heart whether you're playing games, but if you are sincerely casting yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ, all who are in Him are declared righteous. And when we get to that final day, 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. You're not perfectly there yet, but one day you're going to receive the crown of it. You're going to be perfect in every way. It says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Think about that. The judgment day for all who look to Jesus Christ is going to be this glorious day where he says, yeah, I declared them righteous and let me give them the crown of righteousness now. And everyone will say, praise Christ's righteousness. Psalm 7 speaks to the very heart of the gospel. Yes, it's okay to take Psalm 7 and realize that if you have been personally slandered in life, God will right that wrong. But how much better to think about your Lord Jesus Christ, that every slander against His name will be proven wrong, and He will be declared righteous. And you will be a part of his kingdom of righteousness. Because what God declares to be true will in fact be true. And we will be a kingdom of righteous followers of the righteous king. That's our hope. Amen.